Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 65 of the Corona Diaries and uh, after that brief sip of cappuccino, are you in the room, Mr H? I'm barely in the room to be honest, I'm a bit of a grease spot, it's boiling hot up here in my attic, Mm. Uh, I mean it's hot everywhere but I think it's hotter here, I don't know what's Uh, going on, I think something's been piped in. Heat's been piped in? I think so, yeah, I think... You know, from reverse air conditioning is right. going on. Radiators aren't on, are they? Conditioning their home in the village and taking <laughs> all that hot air and piping it into my house somehow through a tunnel. Oh dear, they don't like it up. Hot air rises, doesn't it? And uh, I'm up the top, so yes, no wonder it's hot. So I'm a bit, um, what's the word? Greasy, right. <laughs> Oh, how pleasant. I'm, I'm pleased I'm 200 miles away. Mm. Um, mm, mm. It has been a tad warm, though. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, mm. it's been amazing. I went to the coast. Lynette has gone to Denmark um, to sort out some family family curiousness because um, her dad's now got to move into a home and all of that. This is not a very rock and roll podcast. Um but he has. And um, yes, even rock stars have real lives, folks. Mm. Um, so she's gone to Denmark to try and sort that out. Uh, and I'm, I'm here for the week with vibes, um, having boys' days when I'm right. not talking to you or singing for Mike, which I'll be doing later as well. Um, and we went to the seaside yesterday. We bolted for the coast. Oh. It takes two hours to get there from here. And when we got there, we went to the beach. Um, and after an hour, I looked at him and he looked at me. I'm bored, aren't you? Should we go home? Yeah. So we drove home again for another two hours. We just got bored. Which, which is which is your bit of beach then of choice? Which is your two hour away bit of beach? Um, there's a little beach co- uh, uh, called Avon Beach, which is next to Christchurch, down mm. in Pool. You know Dorset, Dorset, Dorset. And I went to Christchurch for a funeral um, a few years ago of um, the lovely John Wetton. Yes, and. Was invited to his funeral, which was quite amazing and quite a privilege. Um, because I didn't know John terribly well, but in the short time that I did know him, we sort of hit it off and bonded. And um, his ex-wife Lisa told me that he occasionally mentioned me and said he, it'd be lovely to make a record with me. So that was nice, and uh, we just hit, we met on that cruise to the edge. We met we met on the boat, and we just hit it off. We were similar sorts of people and uh, similar sense of humour and everything else. So uh, we we kind of became chums instantly, and then um, not very long after I'd met him, um, he he contracted a kind of a cancer, and and it took him, which was a shame and awful. Um, well, a lovely bloke. I've got really nice memories of him. Mm. And Lisa, I think Lisa listens to the podcast, actually. I think Lisa's purple. I think she is purple. Yes, and I mm. think it was her birthday fairly recently as well because I sent her a card. Right. Which was With probably it. late. I think I sent her a card two days late or something. I'm sure she'll let us know. <laughs> 
I'm sure she was. She takes no prisoners. <laughs> Hello, Lisa. Hope you're having a nice day. Thanks for being purple. Thank you. Thank you for Con- being purple, Lisa. And continue um, to take no prisoners. It's a good way to be. Drinks are on me. Indeed. Um, it's Freedom Day, isn't it? Oh, how lovely. I know. I might jump I'm... out the window. <laughs> It'll be cooler <laughs> when you hit the bottom. <laughs> cool on the way down. Yeah. Hot on the tarmac. Yeah. Yes. And probably where you're going uh, <laughs> after that. But <laughs> anyway, you mentioned well, something just before. You are awful. <laughs> awful. <laughs> you, you just mentioned something off mic that, um, that <laughs> it turns out there's another thing, another similarity. We have all these strange similarities. Because uh, Lynetta likes a duvet or two of an evening because, in your words, she's a little bit nesh for a Scandinavian. <laughs> she is. She's- very nesh for a Scandinavian. <laughs> I don't think she would have been on the deck of the longboat beating <laughs> her chest in her pigtails. She would have been down below going, Oh, is anyone chilly? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out exactly the same in this house. Alison likes it. We've got we've got this industrial tog duvet that seems to be there for the entire year. Nightmare. Uh, and, and I and I I like you. I have a single cotton sheet. Oh, right, um, a shroud. So, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> very much like that. Very much like that. With similar, I don't know. similar markings after yeah, a similar couple markings. Is yeah. the old Turin? Yeah, have... Give me the Turin shroud, <laughs> darling. I'm going to nod off occasionally. So. <laughs> Pass me my Turin blankie. Um, so yes, exactly the same as you. Exactly, and then feet come out first because uh, I can't stand it, and then arms come out, and then it gets tossed somewhere. Oh, I start with the left leg. That's always straight out, right? And then, um, and then usually the arms, and then bit by bit, you know. Well, last night I couldn't cope with anything. Um, I was just listening to the the mosquitoes <laughs> celebrating the fact that I was there and biteable. Yeah. Whee! They all said. Yeah, because I thought they all made that noise, but apparently it's just when they see you. <laughs> no, yes, that's a popular misconception that that's wing noise. It's actually celebration. If you hear that with a mozzie, it's on its way to find you. <laughs> the word's out that your left arm's come out. It's just realised your leg's out, yeah. <laughs> Off looking anyway. for a good juicy vein. Anyway, Don't chapter sixty-five. Right, um, your age as well. <laughs> Don't rub it in. Um, yeah, but that we've passed all the markers now. We've gone past my age. You've gone past your age. You've gone past the length of time you've been in the band. All we've got left is, is the age uh, I feel. Is <laughs> working our way up to eighty. <laughs> is the number of times people have said to you, "Oh, isn't Fish still the lead singer?" <laughs> and our combined IQ, and that's all we've got left. When are we going to get that far? So anyway, for 65, my plan is four numbers. I want to talk to you about 1996. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing, but, but and, you, and, you can have a go. Uh, listen, that door, see, if, see if you can get it open. The number of times we've started off with nothing <laughs> and ended with nothing, to be <laughs> fair. So 1996 occupies about four or five pages in your diary. Um, slightly more than 1994. But I think in 1996, you made the decision to leave EMI. You were nearly in Tommy. I think the band, including yourself, started on solo projects. Hmm. You joined Castle. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you wrote and recorded and um, launched, issued, put out TSE. That was a funny period. In, uh, in our careers, that was a, I don't know, I think it was a bit of a, a walk across the desert. Mm. Um, but TSE's a good piece of work. I'm always pleasantly surprised when I return to it what a good bunch of songs are on there. I think um, it didn't affect our creative output. It was just a different experience being signed to Castle, which was well weird after being with a major label. Because Castle was sort of more like a, 
mail order, you know, catalogue kind of thing. And, and there's a guy called Terry Shand who used to run and own Castle. And he now has another company which completely escapes me, but it's, it's the company we put out the, um, the Positive Light album on. Eagle Rock, Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock. And Eagle Rock do all the rock and roll documentaries, you know, the, the, that you see on TV. Oh, okay. Fleetwood Mackie things and all of the, all of the real serious um, big-time rock and roll bands. Um, their documentaries are usually owned by Eagle Rock. You'll see, you'll see that go by at the end. Mm. And that was t- that's Terry. And Terry owned Castle, I think, when we signed to them and then cleared off um, and started Eagle Rock. But, of course, that, that's, the, that's the trouble if you're an artist being signed to a company is that you may well sign to that company in good faith um, because you like the people and you may find that you make a record and when you go back and take your record lovingly to those people, they've all gone mm. and then somebody else is there who's utterly indifferent to you and your work. And you think, oh, shit, you know, aren't we allowed to sign a deal that, that says that if these people bugger off, you know, that's the end of it or they can take us with them? So, yes, Castle. So we signed to Castle. And uh, we made TSC and we took it in and then Terry wasn't there anymore and some new managing director had come in, but he seemed all right. And then we made TSC and then I think in that same year um, there was an A&R guy at Castle called Dougie Dudgeon. Great name. Doogie Dudgeon. Sounds like a kind of fellow break your fingers one by one with a toffee hammer. Um... I don't know if he was, but he, he, he kind of metaphorically broke mine one by one because um, he enthused at length about, you know, me as a solo artist and the potential of it all and then, then did, did, a, did quite a reasonable deal, gave me plenty of money to make Ice Cream Genius and then the day I delivered it, I must have told this story. The day I delivered Ice Cream Genius to um, to Castle, I went to see Steely Dan, weirdly, at Wembley Arena. And sitting behind me were two blokes who must have been in the music business talking about how Castle had just disintegrated. And that was the first I heard. It was like overhearing two blokes talking at a gig. No one had phoned me and gone, we're really sorry, but... We've gone broke or we've decided to quit or whatever. And I've never heard from Dougie Dudgeon from that day to this, you know. No. He just effed off mm. um, and left my project to the wolves. And that was the end of that. So that was a bit of a shame. Took his toffee hammer and buggered off. Pretty heartbreaking, actually. But I had a lot, you know, had a lot of fun making Ice Cream Genius. Um, we we had, a, you know, we used to dress up for the for the overdubs, put wigs on and things just for the crack. And uh, that was when I first met Louis Jardine, who was uh, who was and is Trevor Horn's percussionist of choice and played tambourine and slave to the rhythm and all of that. And he's amazing. He's a ninja. Um, he's also a sort of, is he Portuguese? He's a sort of Portuguese, he's Portuguese, I think. But he's got a very Brazilian temperament. So he's usually late for, for sessions. So, but he's not late in the English sense. So if he's coming at, say, 10am on Monday, he arrives at 9pm the following Wednesday. Um, so he's sort of late in the Brazilian sense, he's very, very relaxed. And so you just got to wait for him to turn up, which can be days or weeks after he'd arranged to. But he's worth it because I've never heard... I mean, 
he would be in the studio and you'd be in the control room listening to him and he'd be shaking a tambourine. He'd say, where do you want it in the groove? And he'd go, well, well what do you mean? And he'd say, well, I, I can put it on the front of the groove like this and you'd hear nothing change at all. You'd just, hit, you'd just have a feeling. And then he'd go, or I can put it on the back of the groove and you'd hear nothing change, but somehow the whole thing would lie back. I just thought, whoa. Because I, you know, I shake tambourines and I just don't know how that's done. That's Dark art. Nin ninja stuff. I mean, it really is metaphysics because you don't hear anything sonically change. Change. You know, against the fours. And it still sounds exactly the same, but it kind of leans. And you think, oh, how the hell is he doing that? Mm. And he must be putting an ever so, ever so slight shuffle in it um, that you can't hear, but that you can feel. And uh, I met Lewis again more recently when I've been working with Trevor. And I, I was swapping emails with him and I was saying, so, Lewis, how did you learn to do that, man? How did you, what's, what's, your, what's your story? What's your history? How did you learn to do what you do? And he wouldn't tell me. He just, he just said, oh, I've just been lucky to work with some amazing artists like you, Steve. And I'm thinking, that's not the answer. I want the gold and you're not bloody sharing it, are you? So, um, anyway... He won't tell me how he does what he does. And I, I think it's, he must have visited a, a witch or something. <laughs> he sold his soul, hasn't he? He sold yeah. his soul at some point. <laughs> there was this crossroads. I think he has. He sold mm. his soul to um, some kind of percussion Satan. Right. Well, let's, let's go back because <clears throat> we're rambling did, a little. What, did I digress? Well, when I say we, I meant you. Um, so, um, 1996. So, like, first bit, first bit, right? Mm. So, you, you, which you covered, went to Castle, okay? Yeah. Signed up with a certain with a certain set of people, and I think you're right because I think Castle at that time had bands like Black Sabbath and Uriah Heep on it, and I think they also did a lot of these kind of re greatest hit reissue things. So yeah. it was a bit more of like a, um, like you say, a catalog type of you know, um, label sort of thing, a mail order type of label. Um, so you joined, but you're due to be, the plan was you were going to be, potentially going to be Tommy in Tommy at the start mm -hmm. of at some period of 96. So the band had a layoff. The band had prepared themselves for a post-AOS layoff. Right, yes, that must be how I got given the time off to make ICG because... I've been trying to be given the time off to make yeah. the solo album ever since. And, and yeah. And it's never happened. No. Um, There's been moments where I thought they might have done, but anyway. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one alone for a minute. So, so you, Tommy doesn't work out, and we've talked about this before, because you go to New York, you meet the producers, got no idea who you are, and it all kind of falls apart at that at that point in time plus the guy who'd bought it didn't end up having the same amount of control on the project he thought he was going to have did he that's right uh, peter rigger ended up being fobbed off with the kind of rejects from the um, broadway production yeah. uh, without any say in who, who who could actually be in the cast or anything else mm. so whereas he bought the production thinking he could cherry pick a few people to put in because he knew a lot of people in rock and roll well me anyway um it turned out that he was perhaps being a bit optimistic and hadn't read the small print mm. so that's already been baked into the start of the year and then that then that creates a void and a hole mm. um that um but at the same time the emi relationship had, had come to a natural conclusion Mm. Because actually, I think you put two albums out that year. Because Made Again, the live album, which I think was the last one you had to do for EMI, That's also right. came, came out, out on both labels. It was kind of weird. Yeah. It came out on EMI and it came out on Castle as well. There was two versions of it. Mm. I don't know whether they had it for Europe and EMI had it for England or, or what happened. Some yeah. music business 
Machiavellian machinations yes. uh, had happened. Uh, Michael Gove stuff. was involved somewhere <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> Machination. <laughs> and then God I think... God knows I've been machinated <laughs> over the... In fact, I was machinated yesterday, if I'm honest. <laughs> was it a gin machination? It was indeed, yes. 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 Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Good guess. Yes. I'm also pleased to, to, to see that it's not Lynetta that's a bad influence on you and you're perfectly capable of machinating on your own. Yeah, I'd say Lynetta's probably a good influence on me and I'm probably... Well, I think I attempt to be a bad influence on her constantly and and fail. Mm. You're only a bad influence when she lets you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Then, it's, then it can be my fault. Yes. <laughs> this this is turning into sort of ruminations on a on a on a married life from a male perspective. <laughs> this podcast, isn't it? Women were born to have the moral high ground, and rightly bloody so. I'm going to say <laughs> out there for the record. Well done, thank you. Very wise. You're yes. stupid. Yes, all all the feedbacks coming your way this week. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway. Because this, this is why I find 96 complicated, because the, there's the label change. You were nearly mm. in Tommy. That, that then frees up time. So both Steves, I believe, go away and make solo records. Is that right? Well, I've no idea what Rothers was I've never any idea what Rothers is doing. He plays his card very close to his chest. He's always plotting. Um I think he I went and know. unhooked his donkey and rode off into the sunset. <laughs> he did. Could yes. have been a mule, actually. <laughs> it could have been um, a mule. But, um, yes, he rode off into the sunset. Uh, was that the, his wishing tree thing? That was that the wishing was tree thing, on? I think. Right. Well, he, he, he must have been tucked away somewhere doing that. And I went off and, um, you know made that album with, with Dave Greggs and Rich B and Clem and Chicho, Chicho the Colombian um, and Craig Leon, the New Yorker. Um, it was an interesting time. Did I, t- did I ever tell you about Stuart Epps and Elton John and all of that? We went out to um, Cookham to a studio. There's a studio in Cookham called Sol Mill, which used to be Jimmy Page's place. And it's, right. it's on a mill stream. It's beautiful. Uh, and he sold it to Chris Rea at some point, or he sold it to someone who sold it to Chris Rea. And, and when I went down there, Chris Rea owned it. And there was another studio sort of next door in a shed. Uh, and I was in that one. Um I'm being a bit harsh. It was a bit more than a shed. It was sort of an outbuilding. And I can't even remember what it was called, but you could see Sawmill from where we were, which looked very nice and pleasant and opulent. And Chris Rea popped in one day. He just I walked into the, the, the shed and Chris was standing there. Are you, are you all right? What are you doing? I can't do a Geordie accent. No, no. But it was a bit like um, oh, 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 oh. and then he, then he shuffled off again. Um, oh, it was Chris Rear then. Mm. And um, anyway, the, the, the engineer who kind of came with that place was a, a, a very nice chap called Stuart Epps. And he lived in Cookham and he had a collard and collard piano. Um, but he used to be. Uh, he used to engineer Elton John's stuff, Reg, uh, when Gus was producing it, Gus Dodgen, and he told us this story. He said he said he used to get he used to get the lyrics from Bernie Topan. They used to come in on the fax machine in the morning, and Reg would go across the studio and he'd start an hour before everybody else. And when everyone else turned up an hour later, he'd written the song. And then we'd record it and it'd sell 10 million copies. So he just, you know, he just used to knock them out like shelling peas. Um, and he said one day we were in the studio and we, we used to work from mid, midday till midnight, I think, normally. And um, 
it got to about quarter to 12 one night and we were sort of finishing and packing up and uh, and Elton said to uh, to Goss and Stuart, is there any tape left on the machine? I've just got something I'd like to sketch down. And he said, we both had a look and there, w- there was about two minutes of tape left. There wasn't much. We said, well, there isn't much. Uh, they said, oh, it's just a sketch. I just want to... While, I'm, while I've got it in my head, can I just knock this down? So I said, yeah, sure. So they put the machine in record. And he started off with a... <laughs> and he, he wrote a song for Guy on the spot. He said, and we're both sitting there listening to it, going, oh, that's quite nice. And, and, and then he started getting into it. <laughs> and, we, and we're both looking at the machine and the, and the reels are going faster and faster and faster, you know, as the, the reels speed up as the tape runs out. Um, and so we're looking at these reels and spinning and spinning and we can see the tape running out. We're thinking, oh, God, he's going to go mental when this, when this tape runs through because he, he, he is a bit precious by all accounts. <laughs> He's gonna go nuts and you know burn the building down. Um, he says, "So we're getting in. We're looking at each other. Go, oh shit, oh shit. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. We've just got to let it happen. Strap in." Um, <laughs> and he got to the end of it, and he went, "That'll do." And he, and as he said, "That'll do." The tape ran through the heads, and that was song for guy. And I think that sold about ten million copies <laughs> as well. Oh, uh, it comes easier to some people than yeah. others. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I might have worked out where you're perhaps going wrong. Um, <laughs> the, the plan well, should. I think. I think it's. It's. Uh, yeah, there's a problem in the talent area. <laughs> oh, right, right. I just. I just assumed it was scheduling. If you just go in an hour before the rest of the band, knock off something, and then it sells ten million copies. Yeah, they'd refuse to record it <laughs> on principle. You you wrote it in an hour. <laughs> We're not recording that. It hasn't been in the cellar for two years. <laughs> Maturing. As, as, as Reg's helicopter touches down and picks him up. <laughs> but there we are. Right. Okay. That's all true. That's uh, all true. No, 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 I'm 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 not I'm not disbelieving you. And Gus Dodgen used to live in a house which backed onto the River Thames. I mean they cost a fortune those houses but he lived in, and he used to have a little and, and he had a little boat and he used to sail from his house down the river to to the studio oh and that is moor cool. the boat and walk up the lawn and into the studio oh that's and cool. he used to wear a little uh, sailor's hat <laughs> not, not not quite as cool but <laughs> i think it's brilliant i would have worn one would you <laughs> And the little, the little Vienna boys choir outfit. I'd have had that one. <laughs> you see, I've always seen, I've always thought of you in a smock, in that kind of <laughs> Cornish type of vibe. I bet you could carry a smock. What chewing a bit of grass? <laughs> what like Ronnie Barker? Yes, that's the one. On that, when he sat on that style. Yeah, on that style. <laughs> You're lying. There you are. Oh. You were born at the wrong time. Seventies <laughs> comedy missed an absolute, <laughs> absolute trick with you. Anyway, any, any, how did we get there? Where Vienna Boys Choir? No, how did we get? It's very easily done. It's <laughs> happened to me on a couple of occasions. I've got to the Vienna Boys Choir because uh, I'll tell you how that happened to me last time. I'll probably tell you that there's a girl called Linda Spahn. She plays. She played flute and sax, very beautiful. She played flute and sax with um, Tangerine Dream. Yes, you have mentioned her. And I was sat on the bus with her, to, to going from from the boat to the wherever we were going, airport, I think. I think they were all off back to Vienna. And her son was in the v- Vienna Boys Choir. Mm. And we were talking talking about her boy. Nice. Which was an interesting. <laughs> now that's that studio, the Mill Studio. Mm. Has that been pictured on an album cover? Saul seem... Mill. I don't know. It might have been because it to... was it was Jimmy Page's place. Hmm. 
Okay. Question yeah. for the purples. Has that ever been has it ever been photographed and used as some form of cover or something? I seem to recall a picture of a studio with a with a I'm assuming it had the wheel, obviously. Yes, it had the wheel, obviously. Right, okay. Fine. Right. Anyway, back to 1996. Though I think we might have to wrap up for this week and see if we can, because clearly we're doing it so beautifully linear that we can just pick up where we left off next time round. <sighs> <sighs> so the two did, Steves. I mean, did, did, did I ever tell you that Chris France and Tina Weymouth nearly played on Ice Cream Genius? Did I tell you that? No. Well, I was. I I always fancied having them on. Um, really like. I think they would have been perfect because mm. um, they got that natural funky groove, you know, between them, quite organic. And um, we had a monitor man called Jeffrey Hooper, Welsh, or oh, Jeffrey Hooper, beautiful sound engineer. Um, which Did he have a nice baritone? Brilliant sound engineer. <laughs> Who once broke his teeth off in uh, falling over a tram line in Hanover. And super glued them back in. Uh, so he was hard. Um, and he'd, he used to do the out front sound for the Talking Heads and for the Police and the Clash and all these massive bands in the 80s. Um, and I think now he does Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey. Oh. Not on the same evening. No, no. On, on different evenings. No. And um, so I found Jeffrey Hooper up. I said, you know all the boys from Talking Heads, don't you? See, yeah. I said, I said, well, have you got a number for Chris Franz? And I phoned him up and I said, you know, blah, 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 singer from this, that and the other making solo album. Um, I've got this track and would you, would you and T Tina play on it? You know, any chance of you coming over to England? And he said, oh, we're in the middle of another another project but if you send if you send the tracks over we'll play on it sure it'd be, it'd be fun and then we were we sort of ran out of time and mm. craig the producer vetoed it but had it not been for that I, that i you know i would have sent the tapes and i'd have, i'd have had the talking heads rhythm section on really like which to this day i regret somewhat mm. that's a that's a regretful moment Mm. I saw um, I saw Tom Jones a couple of years ago play at Montreux at the Jazz Festival in Montreux. He was brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah. He he's, was. He's and he's, he's Jones the voice, isn't he? Oh, and and his band were knockout. Here's the voice. And he yeah. did. And to link two things together from last week, he did um, Tower of Song, the Leonard Cohen uh, right. tune, which he did really, really well. Oh, he would. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's he's got it going on. Oh. Tom. oh, I tell you who else very nearly played on Ice Cream Genius, and that was Colin Moulding, XTC's bass player. Um, I sent him "You Dinosaur Thing," mm. and he put a bass he put a bass on "You Dinosaur Thing," and when we got it back, it was so weird <laughs> we couldn't <laughs> use it. I think Craig vetoed that as well because he complete. I mean, Colin's amazing. And, and he he put a bass on you dinosaur thing that sort of turned it upside down and inside out as a as a thing, and uh, I liked it. Mm. And Craig thought it was just too strange, so we we ended up going with Chicho's much more straight ahead seventies rock thing. Mm. Yeah, because it's got that straight ahead. Stonesy yeah, vibe, that's hasn't it? Sort of nature of yeah. it. Yeah, but Colin turned it inside out. It was quite interesting. It's a shame I, it's a shame I couldn't, I couldn't find that because it'd be quite cool to put to put an alternative mm. version out of mm. Colin's baseline on it. But uh, it's long lost in the it, mists. In actually, the mists. as a legitimate question, then, is there anything kicking around from that time that? that could go out as a as a release because at some point what year are we on 96 so it must be an anniversary it must be an anniversary coming up for icg there's nothing that springs to mind the the only thing that was kicking around that craig didn't want to put on the album for whatever reason was the last thing yeah and then i did add that to um to to the album later and that is on there now 
it's a lot of people's favourite track, weirdly. It's brilliant. It, well, you Craig sent it to me because I'd never heard it. Right. Uh, and it's and it's and it's I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, loved that it. was that was literally uh Greg's Richard B and I, you know, jamming around. Yeah. Um but that worked out well. Well, it it looking back, what whatever happened, it looks like and I I should have known this off the top of my head, but I didn't. So it looks like it was released in ninety seven, which would make would would kind of make sense. So Next year's twenty five years, isn't it? Is it? Gosh, don't time fly. So uh, I don't feel a day older. No, he he lied. No, no, but yes. Well, I don't look a day older. He double lied. <laughs> right, we better stop there. And what I need to now do is I need to now regroup and try and work out what we haven't scattered around in 96 and see if I can pull it together for next week so we can uh, we can fill in the blanks. Good man. Yes. It's um, like a sieve, isn't it? it, it you, you throw the ingredients into the sieve and I provide the holes for just bits of them to fall through. Yes. And then you've got to find out what's still in there. <laughs> <laughs> the hope is that I throw the ingredients out and we get a cake at the end. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> what I tend to get is little bits of ingredients kind of mixed together. <laughs> we could cook them with Fernod Branco. We could. Oh, been quite a good response to that as a recommendation. A lot of people like that response. That, uh, that as a, in fact, a few people were, were, were avid fans of Fernod Branca, which was nice. Oh, it's a cracking book, isn't it? Fantastic. I wet myself about three times. Really, <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Anyway, let's let's go for a bit of diary. Um, still in the US. Um, and then uh, I've, I've, I've already written down some diary questions, so we've got those when we come back. Mm, okay. Let me whisk you off to Brooklyn, where I'm recovering from dysentery. Or even New Jersey. That, in fact. <laughs> Wednesday, 9th of August, New Jersey, Club Benet. Woke up feeling decidedly better. It was around midday and the long sleep had helped. I felt much stronger. I went downstairs and asked a porter where I can get coffee. Across the street, he said with characteristic New York, don't give a damn. I found a deli over the road and brought a coffee back to my room, where I phoned home to see how Sue, Sophie and Niall are getting on. They're still in Yorkshire with my mum and dad. Everyone's fine and they all went to the seaside yesterday. It's still sunny and warm in England. I had to be out of my room, so I packed and dumped my bags in Tim's room. Got a message from John saying we were to meet up with Dwayne for lunch at the Parker Meridian. After parting company with John back in 89, Dwayne returned to record company work. He got a job with BMG Music in the Far East, living and working in Hong Kong for the last five years. I remember bumping into him on a 747 a couple of years ago as we returned from Brazil to Heathrow. He has recently been transferred to New York, hence his presence at the show. He said he'd really enjoyed it and chatted about old times with the boys while I tried to look interested and tried not to look envious. Unfortunately, I'm having to live with the fact that the band was commercially more successful before I got involved and it's sometimes frustrating to sit in a circle of people reminiscing about parties in posh hotels hiring the entire upper decks of 747s, helicoptering into the backstage areas of large open-air gigs, etc. While I remain painfully aware that we're currently staying around the corner in the Howard Johnson. In many ways, it's probably worse for the rest of the band, who have had further to fall than me. Oh well. I sipped orange tea and declined lunch, still feeling somewhat peculiar at the idea of food. Duane had to leave for a meeting, so we wished him well and returned to our dodgy hotel to meet up with the bus for the short drive to New Jersey, arriving around four in the afternoon at Club Benet, Sayerville. 
there was an open-air pool at the venue and we were told to feel free to use it. So while the sound check was in the initial stages, I took my bathrobe and set up camp poolside, stretched out on the diving board, catching a few rays and floating around in the afternoon sunshine. I sound checked, still wet and wrapped in my robe, and then chatted to the kids outside already waiting at the door for tonight's show. During a conversation I had with one of the girls at the Philadelphia show, I had mentioned my quest to find a top hat for Niall, and here she was again with the very thing. She said she knew where she could get one, and that she thought I probably wouldn't have time, so she was making me a present of it. What a sweetie. Later on the same afternoon, I learned from the bus driver that yet another present had been handed to him for me. It turned out to be two flasks of Z14 talc from Keith and Jane, the guys I'd walked all over Philadelphia with, trying to find some. It's a hard life being a singer, eh? The show went well. Technical problems seem to be fewer now. From the stage, I thanked Robin for the top hat and Jane for the talc. It must have sounded like a peculiar acknowledgement. After the show, three federal officers boarded the bus and announced a drug raid, lining up Prev, Grant, Stewart and Alan, legs spread and hands up, along the bus. A tense and terrified silence followed as they contemplated spending the rest of the night in jail, before the officers announced that they were big fans of the band and that it was all a joke. Pete had asked them to stage a raid for a laugh. It was some time before the colour returned to the faces of the crew. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to witness it. I was still in the club signing stuff and talking to people. The trip to Cleveland turned out to be a 12-hour one. We drove from New Jersey back to New York JFK to drop Priv at the airport. He is returning to Europe to do some shows with Mike and the Mechanics in Germany. So for the next three shows, we have Mike Scarf, an English sound engineer who, I'm told, was Priv's original mentor, mixing our out-front sound. Thursday, 10th of August. Woke around 10 and climbed out of my bunk, wandering forward to talk to bus driver John and find out where we were. I was expecting to be in Cleveland by now as I was supposed to be doing phone interviews this morning. It turned out that John had got somewhat lost during the night in the process of detouring to JFK and we were still in Pennsylvania. He wasn't expecting to cross the state line to Ohio for another hour, so it would be two in the afternoon before we were to arrive in Cleveland. There goes another day off. I checked into room 502 at the Stouffer Hotel and showered before Tim arrived to start me off on my interviews to Quebec City. I spent the rest of the evening snoozing and relaxing, and later went down to the Flats area, Cleveland's Riverside, boarded by nightclubs, cafes and restaurants, to have dinner in an Italian restaurant. Calamari followed by Seoul. Very nice. Returned to the hotel and went to bed early, ordering breakfast in bed where I was determined to stay until at least midday. Friday, 11th of August, Cleveland Odeon. Had breakfast and lazed around for a while before going out for a mooch around the shopping arcade next door. Didn't buy anything. Outside it was another gorgeous day, so I wandered back down to the flats again and spent the afternoon sitting out by the river drinking Belgian cherry beer, which tastes a little like cider, and had a late lunch of seafood before crossing the street to the Odeon, tonight's venue. Inside was new soundman Mike, and he was sound-checking the band and trying to get to grips with the daunting task of mixing us for the first time without any rehearsal. It was obvious I wouldn't be required for a while, so I returned to the river to drink coffee and watch the pleasure craft making their way down to Lake Erie. I found myself humming Camp Granada to myself. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Recreation is to American culture what gardening is to British culture. They take it very seriously. Sunday. 13th of August, Columbus, Newport Music Hall. The weather just keeps getting hotter. 
We arrived in Columbus late morning and I decided against checking into day rooms in the middle of nowhere in favour of staying on the bus and hanging around at the gig. The bus parked at the rear of the Newport Music Hall and quite a few of us tumbled out into the hottest day so far, and I mean hot, in search of a cafe. We found Cafe Insomnia, as it turned out, my favourite cafe of the tour. I ordered a cafe mocha with coconut and cinnamon and sat down with Pete, Mike, Grant and Alan. Ella Fitzgerald was playing in the background as we sipped coffee and slowly woke up. As it turned out, I was to spend most of the day in the insomnia. The coffees and the fruit teas were great and the atmosphere perfect for doing a little catching up with the diary. I had nowhere else to go except the bus and outside was so incredibly hot and humid that one was better off inside. During the day, I got talking to Matthew, who makes the best iced coffee on the planet, and I invited him to the show. From then, coffees were on the house, so I had even less reason to leave. I bought a T-shirt that simply says, Cafe Insomnia, Columbus, Ohio. Around three in the afternoon, I wandered into the gig and gave Grant a hand EQing the monitors. It was time well spent. I ended up with the best stage sound I've had so far. It's funny how some halls sound good for singers, while some, which sound good for the band, Toads in New Haven is a good example, sound awful at centre stage. In my experience, the room has more influence on a stage sound than any amount of monitor equipment. I was enjoying the sound and having the place to myself so much that I sang and played for longer than I should have in the afternoon and wore myself out a bit. I was singing Stevie Wonder's Living for the City when I noticed an old black fella had wandered in off the street through the open back door and was listening and nodding in approval. He said, Wow, man, you got soul. Praise indeed. I did a little work on Pete and Mark's vocal sounds too, which made a difference, especially to Pete, whose pitching during Easter later was spot on. During the sound check, I mentioned to Wes that I'd always fancied one of those pink paisley patterned Fender Telecasters. He agreed it was the kind of guitar that would suit me down to the ground, and, moreover, that he knew where he could get one for $500. His local music store in Tampa, Florida, had one in the window. Fabulous. He offered to sort it out, so I gave him a credit card and he said he could arrange for me to have my hands on it before I leave America. Whoopee. The show was to be the hottest of the tour in all senses. There is no air conditioning in the hall, so the stage temperature was 100 degrees plus. During the Great Escape, I felt that movement of everything which always follows oxygen starvation and proceeds fainting. But I took a few deep breaths and recovered enough to finish the song, sitting with my head between my legs during the guitar solo and giggling for no particular reason. After the show, I sat outside in the street, somewhat exhausted, chatting and signing my name for the fans as usual, when a man with a vaguely familiar face asked if he could have his photograph taken with me. His girlfriend took the picture while he asked me who the astronaut was in the publicity photograph we'd done at Battersea Power Station. I said it was meant to be Buzz Aldrin. He said, I'm Rick. My dad is Neil Armstrong, and I want to tell you that some of the songs on your new album could be the story of my dad's life, the fame thing. That's just how it was for him. Needless to say, I'm still recovering from the encounter. I would have come to America for this conversation alone. I gave him my address, and he promised to send me a copy of our photograph together, and maybe a signed photo from his dad. I boarded the bus with my head spinning, well and truly starstruck. We had a new bus arrive today to replace the one we started with, which itself is a substitute. There was some problem or other. Anyway, the new one is bigger, swisher, and crucially has slightly wider beds and a smoother suspension. Each bus has its own driver, so we must get to know a new face about the house. It was a shame to lose our previous driver, John. I'd grown to like him. We returned to the Hotel Nowhere to shower up and Dan and Dana Sherman, who run the Web USA, went out at two in the morning 
and procured the best chicken burgers I have ever tasted. I ate, got fat, went to bed full of regret and dreamt of walking on the moon. And we're back. And and Steve's going to tell me something. I've just found my gaffer tape. Have I've you? Been, I've been looking for that for three days because I had a cushion explode in the garage. And I was, uh, I thought, oh, the only thing you can save that is gaffer tape. And could I find it? Could I bother it? And I've just spotted it under the piano. So there we are. How do you have a cushion explode? Oh, Vanessa had taken the covers off to wash them and then hadn't washed them. Uh, and I was putting them back, putting the insides back. But the insides are sort of, they're, they're removable and yet very thin. Yes. And, and full of that sort of random spongy stuff that's in lots of bits, like snow. And uh, in the process of putting it back, I tore it and it just went everywhere. <laughs> Uh, you know when you've got the bits in your eyelashes, it was like that. <laughs> um, so I was trying to find gaffer. The only thing I can do with this now, you know, is, is gaffer it. And right. I couldn't find the gaffer. I knew there was a roll of black gaffer somewhere. And turned the house upside down looking for it. And then I found in the garage Gorilla Tape. Now <laughs> that, would, that would do it. That did it. Yeah. So uh, once I'd got the backing off the Gorilla Tape, which took me about an hour and a half, um, and, and actually, you know, you have to find the corner and peel it back, and that takes eyesight and fingernails, neither of which I have. Um, but I did eventually do it, and so but it's now Gorilla Taped up. Right. But then I've just found the gaffer. Found anyway, the... none of this is important or um, um, interesting to the listeners, no. I'm sure. Well, well, no, but the next time I'm round at your place, mm. if you invite me to sit down, I'm going to be wondering if the cushion I'm sat on has got a whole load of Gorilla Tape inside it. Yeah, I could probably comfortably Gorilla Tape you to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, I'd have to hang around for the hour and a half while you got the backing off. <laughs> You'd have to be lulled into a false yeah. sense of security. <laughs> that's a shit up job of <laughs> explaining to me what's going to happen if it takes an hour and a half <laughs> just drink anyway. this gin I'll, I'll be back <laughs> drink this strange green looking liquid anyway you've, you've diary questions mm. from diary I have oh, questions yeah. from diary yeah. um, I've got the one that everybody needs to know or he's going, he's going to be clamouring to know did Niall like the top hat do you know, I was thinking about this and I don't remember ever giving it to him, but maybe I did. Um, I'll have to answer that next week because I'll ask him in the meantime. Right. Can you remember me ever giving you a top hat? He's probably going to give me one of those looks. Uh, but I will ask him the question um, because I obviously... It's funny because when I read that, I thought, Do you know, I don't remember that ever happening, but it must have done because I was... I wrote it in the diary. And having been given a top hat, I surely must have taken it home for him. Um, so I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask. What was the other thing that was with the... There was something else with that top hat, wasn't there? I can't remember. You didn't mention it, I don't think. I think oh, you just right. mentioned top hat in the diary. Oh, it was the talc. I, res- I got the talc the same... The well, same I was day coming on to talc. I was coming on to tell because I I seem to recall by the time we'd got to the mid nineties that talc as a thing had kind of disappeared. I don't know whether it's because Avon had stopped bringing you know tubs of talc round, um, but you're still are you still a talc devotee then? I was children of the fifties. Uh, right. You know, we were brought up on talc. Um, so I do. I st- I never really go on tour without a small flask of Johnson's Baby. Right? Do you not? No, mm. no, because you know you can get a lot of chafing. <laughs> <laughs> get a lot of chafing on stage in some of the trousers I wear. Right. 
In fact, mm. I had a pair of uh, <laughs> I had a pair of Jean Paul Gaultier silk trousers that I used to wear on stage, and because they were silk, as soon as a as soon as there was any kind of sweat inside them, they just used to stick on. Yeah. And then if you moved, they used to tear. Yeah. Um, and so they just tore. So then I would gaffer tape them <laughs> from the inside. And after about half a tour, I'd got this thing that was like um, like a solid chastity belt of gaffer tape on the inside of the silk trousers they used to climb into. <laughs> and they used to chafe a bit. Right, uh, they would do. Yeah, you and need it, a lot of talc. Right, you didn't. You didn't go with sort of Vaseline or what's the other little thing? Oh, you know, you, dear. No, <laughs> not not some form of emollient. What? Ky. Oh, what about what was that stuff? Creamolia. Creamo. My gran used to have a thing called creamola or creamolia in a in a tub. Now then. Purples, here's one for you. <laughs> the more mature of you, that might ring a very distant bell. I don't think creamola or creamolia, I can't remember whether it was olea or ola. Uh, creamola sounds like a sort of jukebox that you listen to Eric Clapton on, doesn't it? <laughs> but creamolia was um, this thing that my gran used to produce whenever there was any chafing. Right. Um, but that, I've not seen any of that for a really long time. Right. Are you still there, Anthony? I'm still with you, just about. <laughs> I didn't realise you'd put so much time into chafing. <laughs> and thought, to be fair. Yes. No, yes. I, 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 you know, chafing is, is a thing, isn't it? Well, it sounds like an occupational hazard. It is to some degree, but I won't. I won't. Be, I won't go into too much detail no. there because, no. let's face it, if anybody out there is interested in this, there's something <laughs> wrong with them. It's a different podcast. <laughs> it's a different it's a, audience. It's a different audience. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific audience. Yeah. Yes. Um. Anyway, so um, the drug bust that I think we alluded to in the title last week actually happens this week. Yes, that was hysterical. Um, I, I wish I'd seen that. But uh, Pete was on the bus, so he witnessed it firsthand and told me all about it. And he said it was absolutely terrifying because we were all sitting there relaxing on the bus <laughs> and these two policemen <laughs> just jumped on flashing their badges. <laughs> Uh, saying this is a bust and where's the cocaine and all of this, whilst all the blood drained out of the faces <laughs> of the crew and 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 certain members of the band, I should imagine, as well. And it turned out they were both fans. They'd both been in the gig and somebody else had just put them up to it. I, it was Pete who put them up to it, I think. Um, so hysterical. What a thing to do. I know, I know. That's a bit close to the line for a rock and roll tour bus, I think. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could give people heart attacks. You could. Especially if they'd had a line of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> bit self-fulfilling, that. But, um, so the other, the other two things before we finish. Yeah. You really took to Cafe Insomnia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio. I bought... Um, I bought a, um, a sweatshirt, not a sweatshirt really, but a long-sleeved T-shirt, black, that said Cafe Insomnia on it and wore it for, you know, years after that. It was a really cool shirt and it just said Cafe Insomnia, um, Columbus, Ohio. And that was that boiling hot day and that was the night I met Rick Armstrong in the hey, street. And that's where I was coming to next. Mm. Um, bless him. Um, so it, it goes all your friendship with Rick goes all the way back to then. It did. It started that night in a hot street. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of relationships do. They don't <laughs> normally tend to last that long. <laughs> the evening was sultry. 
Yeah. I'm not. I'm not seeing that somehow. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing Rick as the, as the other half of Body Heat. If I'm if I'm being <laughs> honest, but um, we don't say hello to Rick, who is lovely. Uh, hi, Rick. How are you? Hello, Rick. Bless him. Oh yeah. I don't know if he's a listener. He's certainly not a subscriber. Oh, oh dear. Tight, I reckon. We we need to have a word next next family quiz. Yeah, send us your money. Yeah, tight ass. To be honest, though, Family Quiz has got far, far fewer subscribers than subscribers, hasn't it? Mm, that's true. Yeah. Well, it was never set up on a subscription basis, was it? The Family Quiz. No. no it was. No. It was quote just a bit of fun. Just a bit of fun. Quote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right, we better wrap it up there for the week. Um, well, well, I don't uh, feel like I've I've really said anything. I must have said something. Well, we've been ro- we've been rolling for fifty minutes. Oh, okay, good. So uh, we've learnt a lot. Oh, marvelous. Well, you have. Well, I've not learnt anything. Well, you found your gaffer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I remembered Stuart Epps' name. It just came straight out of a blue sky and dropped into me bonds. You know, like oh. so many other things don't. When I just, you know. You often provide me with all the detail. Well, <laughs> while I go, um, oh now what? Was, oh ah, but there was Stuart Epps, fully formed. I couldn't have told you yesterday. It's funny, isn't it? All right. Perfect. We've had a we've had a we've had a lucky break. Yeah, caught a break today. I've always confused Brooklyn and New Jersey. I mean, they're nowhere near each other, are they? But they're interchangeable in my head. I think it's I think it's relative. I think you know, compared with where we both are now, they're very close to each other. I think it's the accent. You know, I kind of think of both Brooklyners and New Jerseyers talking like that. You know, the door of the store, the door of the store. I asked you already. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> are they both? Is there a high Italian population to both? I don't know. In my head, yes. But there's probably no evidence for that. New Jersey is, isn't it? New Jersey's got quite a, a, an Italian um, has heritage. It? Well, Brooklyn yeah. surely has, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I don't know. Right, well, that's third question for your purples then. Third question for this week is that one. So it's the, it's pictures of the, the studio. It's this strange... Gunk that H's grandma used to have. Cream Olia. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's the historical makeup demogra- you know, demographic makeup of both Brooklyn and New New Jersey, please. Um if you can get back to us as soon as possible, that would be great. Thank you very much. Could I just end this podcast by point by just acknowledging that 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 the subscription to T C D is is Obviously, money well spent. <laughs> yes, because it keeps all of this going. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many more productive man hours would there be in this country if we didn't do this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't make any difference, would it? <laughs> Well, no, because how all those hours spent listening to this could actually be productively and profitably spent on something else. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the world would be a greyer place. It would. You're right. You know, it would. It no would be a greyer place. No one contemplating some of the things we contemplate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to leave you to it. I'm going to well, let you. Know. Let well, you think was, about the Crooncast. I quite enjoyed that. Oh, I, I very much enjoyed it. It's got a <laughs> slightly strange vibe today, but I'm I'm rocking it. <laughs> Crooncast. I know what I'm going to do for the Crooncast, yeah. I think, today. Uh, it depends how far into the diary I get. Right. But, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, if, if I get far enough, I spotted something. Right. And uh, um, I'll, I know what I'll do then. If it is. If it isn't, I'll do something right. I was on the kinks last week, wasn't I? Yes. Thank you for the subs. Yes. Um, 
But yeah. I think I've got an idea for this week. Well, if I get the episode back and it's four hours long, I'll know that you've got far enough into the diary. Right. Okay. That'll well, be the giveaway. you usually send me a little message and tell me how much you want. Right, yeah, but you might have to just, you might have to, you know, freewheel if you want to get to a certain point. Okay. Tell, tell me afterwards where you want to get to. All right, then. Right. All right. Be shall our little we, secret. Shall we go, then? Put Let's the go, then. On. Let's do that. Get back in a hammock. Rub some more, um, what's that stuff that tastes of coconut? Um, coconut? <laughs> <laughs> that was a song. There was a suntan oil I used to drink when I was in L.A. in the Red Mac. What the hell was that called? Tasted the coconuts anyway. <laughs> used, to, used to rub it in and then drink a bit. <laughs> what was it called? Hawaiian Tropic. That was it. Right. <laughs> it, the further we go on with this, the more obvious it's becoming where, from whence it all stemmed. <laughs> <laughs> nice on ice with a bit of a bit of rum. Yeah. Anyway. And a right, I'll go I'll go now. Okay. <laughs> Bye then. Thanks all. Thanks for subscribing. Stay safe. And if you can't stay safe, stay purple. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am, Camp Granada, life is very entertaining, and they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. Thank you, Graham, aired from Brackley, I remember you exactly, being purple is the place to be. And the washer in the attic's working perfectly Wait a minute It stopped raining Guys are swimming Guys are sailing Sun is shining Gee, that's better Mother, father, kindly disregard this crooncast Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.